Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Can y'all give it up for our worship team, man, that just leads us into the throne room of God? Each week, it is so awesome to be able to dive into the Word of God. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to Romans, because Romans is where we're going to be one last time, at least for now, because we are finally here, y'all. We are finally finishing up the book of Romans. We've been taking weeks and weeks and weeks to walk through a series that we have called, if you can guess it, The Letter. Because we've been leaning into the letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. And this has been a, a long journey. If you haven't been with us, jump on the Venice Church app or go to our YouTube channel. You can, you can watch all the messages that were uh, in this series and just dive in. But I ain't gonna lie, I'm kind of glad we're kind of moving out of this. Next week, we step into a non-series series which means this summer we're just going to preach some things that are on our heart. We're going to have a handful of friends that are going to come in to hang out with us as well and teach. It's going to be an awesome summer. But today, as we wrap up this letter, I've been re just reflecting all week about what God's been teaching me. And I don't know, maybe it was because just in the season of my life, I'm once again reflecting on all the things I've learned and all the things I hope that I've learned. And I, have you learned anything in this series? Come on, let me hear you, church. Has God done anything in your life to solidify your faith? I hope so, because what we've been learning as we've been walking through the book of Romans is some really, really important stuff. Because look at me, we have a culture that has decided that truth is whatever you decide it is, and that is a lie from the devil. And we have to decide that we are going to lean in and no matter what's happening in culture, stay true to God's word because it is universal and it is true. And if we drift from it, everything will go sideways. And I know we live in a church culture now where to preach the fun stuff is, is popular, but to lean into the things that are not so fun, most people wanna avoid. But I hope by now, and maybe you're new to our church, we hope to preach all of God's word here at Vintage. Even the parts that aren't comfortable, even the parts that challenge us, even the parts that, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry, even the parts that might be culturally offensive, because God's word is pure and it's true and we're gonna stand on it from now until he decides to return. Come on, somebody. And especially chapters one through 11 of Romans are those verses, that, that, those chapters that they lay out the essential things, y'all. The things that are fundamental to our faith. And I remind you, look at me, Paul, the, Rome, the, the letter to the church at Rome wasn't written to convert people to Christianity. Stay with me. It was written to people that had already made that decision. And it's not that we can't leverage it to bring people to Jesus because we can and we should. Y'all with me? Say amen. But this is, this is written to people that have already made the decision that Jesus is, is the way. They've already decided that that salvation is found in Christ alone. And now they have gathered together as the church and they're doing amazing things in their community. And y'all, for these people coming to Jesus, the, the only thing they had in common was the gospel because they came from all different places in life. I think we often forget the beauty of the diversity of the early church that has somehow got lost in our culture. 
that the church is supposed to be a place where everybody is welcome and every, come on, and everybody is represented. And it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how much money you do or don't have, or the color of your skin, that the church should be a building where people walk in and they are felt like they are loved ultimately for who God created them to be. But it's also a place where we introduce truth because God wants to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And he does that through the gospel. The gospel, y'all. The good news of Jesus Christ. The one that Paul's talking about when he opens up the book of Romans. Go, Romans, go there. Romans chapter 1. Look at verses 16 and 17 with me. Romans, I'm going to have to sit down at some point today because if not, I'm just going to pass out. If I pass out, pretend I'm slain in the spirit and somebody start preaching, okay? It says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for, it is, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Then Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And in that, he's saying so much more than just like, I'm not ashamed about what I believe. Paul's saying, essentially, I'm not ashamed to admit that somewhere along the way, I got it wrong. That I thought being made right with God was through a religious system. But God wasn't looking to introduce a religious system. He was looking to introduce a relationship with the creator of the universe. And he says, I, I tried the other way. I tried the religious system. I was a good Jew. I did all the things. And, and, and if you go read Philippians chapter 3, he gives us the resume. But he says, no, how you are made right with God is not through what you do. It's through what Jesus has done. And he introduces this word to us or maybe reminds us of a word that's gotten lost in the church, righteousness. And as we've walked through this series, we've leaned back into this word and, and reminded we don't have to be afraid of this word. We have to disconnect it from the self-righteousness of the people we grew up going to church with. One honest person in the room, because y'all were like, yeah, yeah. Because this is, this is a word when you truly understand its meaning, when you understand it in the context of which scripture uses it, it's a word you don't want to let go of. Because we have a righteousness, which means we have a, the opportunity to be in right standing with God. That we have an opportunity to be in right standing with the one who formed you in your mama's womb. The one who made you and created you and has built you for eternity with him. That you, we have righteousness, we have rightness with God. And I know it's a big word and it's long and it seems churchy, but it simply means that like because of what Jesus has done, you and me, no matter what we've done, no matter how broken we are, no matter how sinful we've become, that when we look to his cross and accept his grace and see the work that he's done for us, we get to be put back in right standing with him. Not then, now. That we get to walk with Jesus and live in relationship with him. And because of that mercy, we get to avoid his wrath. And that's another word that we brought back. And I know it's not a popular one. And I know it's not one that we often hear in settings like this. People say, oh, that contemporary church, they're shallow, bull. <laughs> and there's, if, if it's in God's word, it has to come out of my mouth. And wrath is a real thing. And we said, we hear all the time, people say, I don't like the God of the Old Testament because he's a God of wrath. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is the same God. They are the same God. 
And there's, you think you see wrath in the Old Testament? The, the most vicious place you see God's wrath is actually in the New Testament. It's in the Gospels. It happened on Good Friday when all of the wrath was put on God's son, Jesus Christ. That is the, the most painful evidence of God's wrath in all of human history when he took all the wrath that you and I had earned because of our sin and said, instead of you getting it, I'm gonna give it to him. That the wrath of God was put on the cross of Jesus so that we could avoid it. And if you don't see Jesus for what he is, and if you don't understand the gospel, and if you don't receive him, you will receive that wrath. Because heaven and hell, both real places, church. But we deserve this wrath because Paul says as he opens up this letter that at some point that humanity made an exchange. You remember? Where Paul says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. See, and that's what, that's what the enemy's always trying to get us to do is to say, God didn't really say that. It's really not that big a deal. You can make your own decisions. You can go your own way and everything will be fine. He is a tired old joker, man. Like his game has not changed. He is still doing those same things. He's still trying to come at us and say, no, God's word doesn't really say that. You don't have to follow that. You know what? You can take some of that stuff and throw it away. It really is insignificant. He wants you to exchange the truth for a lie. And when you exchange, when I exchange God's truth for the world's lie, that's not just a mistake, y'all. That's sin. And that sin is what has separated us from God. And Paul unpacks some really important stuff that we can't shy away from, that in that exchange, the repercussions are deep, and they have distorted everything. They have affected and infected all of the earth. It says creation is groaning, and it's ruined everything about who we're supposed to be as people who are created by God. It's distorted our, our sexual ethic. It has distorted the way we see each other. It has created all kinds of chaos in the world. It has created a problem that you can't fix. Because Paul makes it really clear, like the way that you get made righteous with God is not through your merit, it's through his mercy. It's not through, because of your effort, it's because of his grace. That God doesn't choose people who deserve it because if he did, there would be no one because all of us deserve the wrath. But in his mercy and his grace, when we look upon him and in faith, believe in what Jesus has done, scripture says that we are justified. That's another word. That's not just a TV show that was on FX for a while. That's a beautiful word. And it's another word that the church has kind of tried to move away from because we're worried that people don't get it. But of all the words, the meaning of the word is in the word itself. Look at it. What this means is because of what Jesus has done, when you trust in him, when you believe in his sacrifice, when you ask for forgiveness and repent of your sins and allow him to be Lord of your life, it's, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. That he wipes it away, that God says, his word says that when he asks for forgiveness, he buries it in the depths of the sea. It's separated as far as the east is the west. That he chooses to remember not the dumb thing you did when you were 14. Somebody say, thank God. Come on. <laughs> or when you were 44. <laughs> it's just as if I'd never done it. And because we have been justified, we are now experiencing this reconciliation. Another word that is a biblical word, that we've been reconciled with God. 
that we've been put back in right standing with him. Just soak that in, y'all, for just a second. That we have, we've experienced reconciliation with God. Like he spends 11 chapters just doing a deep dive into the gospel. And, and that's the most important thing that you will ever, look at me, you will make a lot of really important decisions in your life. You know what you, you know, I know there's, there's, there's seniors graduating right now and, and, and you're about to go off to college. It's a big decision. It's going to shape a lot of your future. Last week I did a wedding and I, I do like 700 weddings a year at this point. Um, like, that's a huge decision who you will marry, whether or not you're going to have kids. All these things are big, but the, the most important thing you'll ever decide is what you decide about Jesus Christ. There is not a more important decision that any human will ever make than what you decide of who is Jesus. What you decide to do with Jesus is the most important question that you will ever have to wrestle with. So can I just, what have you done with Jesus? Because I know that there are people sitting in this room and people that are watching online that are still kind of on the fence or living in this spiritual ambiguity, not making this decision. Look at me, no decision is a decision. You have to decide for yourself. You don't get to heaven on anybody else's coattails. And nobody can, dis- can choose Christ for you. So I talked to all the students and the kids in the room. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you have a legacy of faith with your parents. But y'all got to make that decision for yourself. It's a decision that you have to make in your own heart. Because we're all sinful and broken. And, and that was one thing that Paul very made clear. Hey, before you jump on your spiritual high horse and think because you grew up a certain way. And just remind, like, you can sit in your church, you can sit in church your whole life and go to hell. Because when you get to heaven, he's not going to say, now how many times you go to church? Believe it or not, he's not going to say, how many times did you read your Bible? And reading your Bible is very important. It's going to be, what did you do with Jesus? Because scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul told us in Romans that there is no one righteous, no, not one. That the decision that Adam made in the garden has passed down the generational curse to every single one of us. And before you get mad at him, he only did what you would have done too. He only did what you have done too. And there are no small sins. And that's another thing that we learned. There are no small sins because there's no small God to sin against. And when the church starts deciding which sinners get in and which sinners don't, we got a problem. And you have to be careful to pass judgment on somebody who just sins a little bit different than you do. Because your sin and theirs have the same eternal consequence. And we all need Jesus. And we learn, and it's something that that I want to bring back to your attention, that, that Paul makes it very clear. One man, Adam, ate from a tree and brought death. A better man named Jesus died on a tree and brought life. Y'all clap for that. One man, Adam, ate from a tree and brought death. A better man, Jesus, died on a tree, and in him and only in him do we have life. And you got to give your heart to Jesus. And if you've never done that, Paul also would remind us in, in, in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. We learn that every person who calls on the name of the Lord has the opportunity to experience that salvation. But you need to know this because Paul made it very clear. 
Jesus makes your life better. He does not make it easier. Because walking with Jesus, following Jesus, will not make us immune to the struggles of this world. Testify somebody. That walking with Jesus does not remove us from the potential for suffering. It also doesn't make us immune to the temptations that lead to sin. Guess what? After you meet Jesus, the enemy's gonna come at you even harder. Come on. Because he don't come after people he has. That's brilliant, isn't it? That he, so there's gonna be seasons of life where you have to also endure another word that we don't like, but Paul mentions the affliction. That following salvation does not make us immune from affliction. That we're gonna go through hard things. Even Paul says there's affliction that he brings on himself because Paul, this dude who wrote a good portion of our New Testament, says, I have moments when I do what I don't want to do and what I want to do, I don't do. And you're all like, me too. He says, there's moments when what I do does not reflect who I know God says I am. That I have moments when I give in to this temptation and it makes me sick to my stomach. And Paul says, it doesn't make me sick to my stomach because I feel like I've been plucked from God's hand, but because I know I've broken God's heart. And there's times that we have to endure affliction and suffering based on the consequences of our own decisions. And then there's times that we have to just be reminded that we live in a broken world and that we ain't in heaven yet. Man, did we get a stark reminder of that this week? Of the evil and sin and brokenness that will take the lives of innocent children. But Paul says, in those moments, don't see all that suffering as the absence of God. Live with the assurance that God is still good, God is still real, he is still powerful, and he is still on the throne. That that when, when you sin, when you step into those temptations, trust God's forgiveness. Don't live in regret. Start to repent and receive his grace. When you watch the world suffer, remember that God in, in Romans 8 has told us, remember Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And man, I could have spent like 17 weeks just preaching through Romans chapter 8 alone. But at Easter, we were reminded that God has made us a promise. He will make all things good. And if it's not good, God's just not done. But God has made this promise of good, not in the immediate, but in the ultimate. In the immediate, it's God, when he says, I'll make all things good, it doesn't mean like in the immediate. That as we learned on Easter, you're going to have to sit through Saturday to get to Sunday. And all of us want to go straight to Sunday without sitting through Saturday. And I know there's a lot of people that you feel like you've been sitting in Saturday, and you look at the world, and you just feel like we're sitting in Saturday right now. You see all the pain and all the division and all the frustration and all the evil and all the violence and all the things. And, it, and it's like I said, at some point, I think in this series, so often, look at me, it can feel like we're living in this space between the resurrection and the, the return. And it feels like the valley between two mountains. 
But what I've learned to see it different, that the resurrection and the return, it's not a valley between two mountains. It is the shade between two trees. And I remember who he is and I anchor my hope in him, not in what's happening in the world. Because I'm reminded that our God is sovereign. And as we moved into Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, we had to wrestle with this thing of the sovereignty of God. And maybe that's a new word for you, that God is sovereign. And what that simply means is God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, because he's God, he can. He is not dependent on us. He is not in need of us. Believe it or not, God does not need you. You are not the center of the universe. He is. Nobody ever says amen when you say stuff like that. Thank you. But we have to live in this tension too because people think about the sovereignty of God. Well, if God is sovereign, if God is in control, then why, then why, then why, then why? And we have to live in this reality that scripture unpacks as there's a tension between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And how those things work and coexist is a frustrating mystery at times. But in God's sovereignty, we have to continue to trust and anchor our hope in who he is and what he wants to do. And that he, his desire is to redeem this world and he is working toward that. And someday it'll all be made right the devil will be once and for all defeated and there will be no more tears and there will be no more school shootings and there will be no more cancer and no more pandemics and no more divorce and no more of all the other things that create chaos in our world and it will be forever. But in the meantime, we gotta live out our faith. And the question is, how do we do that? Because see, everything that Paul has said to this point in in Romans chapters one through 11, and I encourage you, man, we left a lot of meat on the table. So go back, dig in, dive in, read that. We've actually talked about maybe releasing a a few episodes of a podcast, kind of go back and and lean into the things that we didn't get a chance to cover as deep as we wanted to. But in chapter 12, he makes this transition because he reminds us, I'm not telling you all this stuff just so it's head knowledge. That all the, if all this doctrinal understanding doesn't produce practical living, it's all for nothing. That you gotta live out your faith. All this that you believe about God cannot just be something that's stuck in your brain. Look at me, God's fingerprints should be on every part of your life. That there's not a single space that who he is and what he said should not touch. It's crazy how we compartmentalize, how we want to kind of scoop out some things from under God's authority because we don't like it, like 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 our money or our relationships or our careers. And God says, no, like it's got to be everything. I want full, complete surrender. I want everything under the umbrella of my authority because only under my authority can you actually live the full and abundant life that Jesus called to give you. And if you're feeling like you're missing out on some things, sometimes I have to ask, what's not under God's authority? Where are you trying to do it your way instead of his? And come on, we are all guilty of that because his way is hard. I got one amen from that. Brother, amen. Following, G- following Jesus, I won't, I won't lie to you. Following Jesus will be the hardest thing you ever attempt. It will make you uncomfortable. It will cost you. But you, can I remind you, we looked into this. Jesus did not hide this fact. He made it very clear. He said, they're going to hate y'all from time to time. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to cost you. 
You're going to have to love me so much more than you love your parents. Your love for me compared to your love for your parents is going to look like the difference between love and hate. He made it really clear. But as you're living out your faith, he says, this is how you do it. And I love Romans chapter 12, verse 1, before he says, okay, this is how you're going to have to live it out. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is your true, this is, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that might not be how you saw it on the screen, but it's kind of how it's written on my heart. But the key is there. He says, all right, now, 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 now that you know that your righteousness in Christ is because of his mercy and not your merit, keep your eyes on his mercy. Like focus on him, not anything else. Keep your eyes on him, not the world. Don't live in reaction to culture. Live in response to what you know God has done for you. With God's mercy and constant view, with God's mercy and constant view, live in humility, live in unity. He says, you know, the way you treat each other should reflect who Jesus is. And he starts unpacking all these things. He even starts talking about like how we, how we live in the tension of earthly authority and ultimate authority. And when we cross that threshold, how we walk that out, when we have to choose to honor God because maybe things are happening in our culture that stand against what we know God's word says. And he says, do it all with grace and humility, honoring God, because everything you do, you do for his glory. He says, even when you're walking out in the things that are non-essential, he said, in those disputed matters, he said, everything I've written to you in, in, in chapters one through 11, those are the essential things. But he says, there's the things that I haven't hit on here. There's disputable matters, but don't argue over those things because a divided church can't be the multiplying place that it's supposed to be. And he says, but walk in that freedom, asking a better question. And we decided as a church, didn't we? We're going to raise the standard because Jesus did. We're going to go beyond just, is it sinful? And we're going to ask, is it wise? That we don't operate as followers of Jesus. I can, and I want to, so I'm going to. No, we, we raise the bar. We, we understand that our influence is far too precious a commodity to toss it away for something we ain't got to do. But he says, with God's mercy in constant view, like keep, keep his mercy in view. Because if not, if you let your eyes drift from Jesus, because your, eye, your eyes are a window, and they're also a garage. Come on. Because they're not just what you see out there. They're things you let in. And you know what God has really been reinforcing in my heart the last couple weeks? And the way I wrote it in my journal is this. What I have to contribute is dependent on what I have decided to consume. Did you hear that? What I have to contribute is dependent on what I have decided to consume. In other words, what I have to contribute when I walk in the door of my home to my wife and my kids, what I, if, if I'm going to add value to them, if I'm going to build them up, if I'm going to speak life into them, it's dependent on what I absorbed in my mind and my heart before I step in that space. What you have to contribute to the world is dependent on what you are consuming. So can I ask you something? What are you consuming? Because there's a lot of junk that the enemy wants to get in your brain, and this is the vehicle he wants to use it. Don't y'all get quiet on me now. 
What are you consuming? Because you, you can't contribute joy and only consume the news. Amen. You can't contribute peace when you're consuming nothing but chaos. He says, in view of God's mercy, like when you, when you constantly are fixated on Jesus and absorbing the things of Jesus, and it's like how often are we just consuming so much stuff, and then we wonder why we have very little positive things to contribute to the world. And let me tell you something. When life rings you out, and it will, you will contribute what you have consumed. It is true. And you say, oh, Matt, it's just a little bit. Maybe a little bit is too much. Best button on this phone, there's one right here. You hold it long enough. Let me see. Hold, or maybe hold both of them. Ooh. Turned it off. You can do that. The world exists without you for about an hour. Being unaccessible, unreachable, undisturbed. In view of God's mercy. And I hope you know that everything that we've been teaching in this series is not just so that you would consume something for the next, for the last 16 weeks. And can I look at me? This is my biggest fear, that we would spend 16 years just consuming Romans, failing to realize our responsibility to now take what we've consumed and contribute it to the world around us. Because, see, you do know that everything that Paul was writing was with the purpose of solidifying this church in a way that, that, that it would, he even says it, my hope is that I'm, I, I enhance what you're doing. That what you have heard from me makes you serve the world as the church in a more efficient and effective manner. And as he closes out chapters 15 and 16, as he moves into 16, he starts to just list a bunch of people that so often when you're reading it, you, you just, you just kind of skip over those things. But I want, y'all pull that, pull that slide up. If, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as Paul closes out chapter 16, he, he acknowledges, my best count is like, like 20-something people. The names of people that have contributed to his life, contributed to the kingdom of God, contributed to the advancement of the church in our world. And when you read those names, it's easy for you just to kind of get lost in all these people and all these names and think, those are weird names. I would never name my kid that. That's awful. But they're just, they're, but remember that names had such an important meaning and they revealed so much about the people named. And when you do a deep dive into this list of names, look at me, church, it's people who are former slaves and people from nobility. It is men and women. It is young, it is old. It is Paul saying, yeah, I know when you think about the early church, you think about Peter and you think about John and you think about Paul, but there were so many more people that understood the gospel and the kind of level I'm trying to get you to understand it. And they've made such a contribution. Even Phoebe is one of the first he mentions in 16. This is a woman who had the task of delivering Paul's letter to the Roman church herself. That would have been so unforeseen to give this document that had such value and importance to a lady and say, go deliver this to Rome. And usually the person delivered the letter will also be charged with receiving and responding to questions about what were in it. Let that sink in for some of y'all. 
that there's people like Priscilla and Aquila who were early members of the church who hosted people in their home and allowed their house to be a house church. You say, Matt, what are you say- why are you saying all this? It's because this is my biggest fear. Over the last 16 weeks, we've consumed all this stuff, not realizing the point was to solidify your faith in such a way that we pass it on to the people in our lives. That we pass it on to a generation of people that when 20 years go by and the culture has shifted even more from the truth, there is still a segment, a remnant of people committed to the truth of God's word, taking it forward better than we did. And let me tell you something. I'm gonna talk to my daughter for just a minute because my son was in the first. As you move throughout your life, you're gonna step into places that are gonna challenge the truth you've learned your whole life. There are gonna be people that wanna strip it away from you. There are gonna be people that want you to believe that everything that dad has taught you and your church has taught you is a bunch of junk, it's a lie, it's myths and wise tales. And the reason why we go so hard to lay this foundation in your your life now is so that when you can step in those circles, you can be salt and light and immovable in the truth you know. And I'm believing that this series, the fruit's gonna be seen from that generation who's waded through it with us. I've seen their notes, y'all. When they're on their phones, they're not flipping through TikTok. I've looked through their notes of the things that they've written down over the last 16 weeks, and I'm reminded that 20 years from now, I said it a few weeks ago, don't know who will be president, but I know who's gonna be king. And I know there's gonna be a generation of people that are committed to the right things, and that this thing will endure because of the truth that we know. So Romans 16, 25. So now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever, amen. And don't forget, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. God, thank you for what you've taught us in these last few weeks. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for a group of people continuing to be willing to trust you in all things and at all times. Thank you for your word and the way it penetrates even the craziest of seasons. And God, we build our lives on it. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the hope and eternal life we have in him. And we thank you for the strength we have in your Holy Spirit now. And God, I pray that you would help us to have the courage to take what we've consumed and to contribute to the world around us, to be able to have conversations and to speak hope and truth and life into the world around us that needs it desperately. God, help us to use our voice, leverage our influence for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. 
thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We hope you have an amazing week. Let us know if we can come alongside you in any way. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory as you head out today. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.